A traveler on the road has told you about the ruins of an ancient civilization hundreds of years old. Oh, all right. Um, can I roll an arcana check to see what I know about the civilization? Well, no. It's it's a long forgot it's long forgotten civilization from centuries ago. So how many centuries ago? Well, centuries, so I, I don't know, I guess two. Awesome. I'm going to reach out to my elven mother who lives in town and see what she knows about this. Wait. wait. Oh, yeah, th- that's a good idea. Elves live for centuries, so surely there's someone that remembers this stuff. Hold on a minute. Okay, you know what? I, I was just looking at my notes. Maybe it's four centuries? Great. Grandma lives there with my mother, too. This time on Becoming DM, we're talking about running games for neurodivergent players. Hey everyone, this is John. And this is Danielle. And this is Adam. That's right. Uh, We do have a special guest host with us uh, today. Uh, Adam is a listener of the show as well as DM. Um, Adam, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into into role-playing games? Well, I think it was in high school where I started playing role-playing games. I started with um, uh, 40k uh, role-playing game called Inquisitor and then we kind of branched off into uh, D&D and we also played Pathfinder and I've been the forever DM for the last, I'm going to say probably five or six years Great, so um, before we begin and and get into this episode, uh, there's a couple things that we probably need to just address first off, we are not speaking for uh, neurodivergent players, uh, as none of us are, are diagnosed as neurodivergent. Um, so these recommendations that we're making are not one size fits all, uh, by any means. Uh, what else, Daniel? Um, the most important thing is that, uh, you really, like you said, we're not, we're not trying to tell people exactly what to do. We're just trying to, I, I guess, open up a conversation about, uh, um acceptance does like that's basically what what I see it as <laughs> right so when let's let's maybe get into it and as we do uh let's talk a little bit about what it means to be neurodivergent so adam you you actually had sent us this topic as a as a potential topic to talk talk about on the show maybe you could kick us off and 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 tell us kind of in your in your mind what that means yeah, absolutely. So my whole thing is uh, the neurodivergent players are like the players that have been diagnosed or waiting to be diagnosed with like ADHD, autism, and and whatnot. Uh, non-neurotypical people that aren't diagnosed with anything like that. Um, and I actually have now three confirmed uh, ADHD uh, diagnoses at my table. And I figure that going by like something some things that I experience could uh, could help some other DMs in the world wherever whoever's listening uh, to help help uh, with their players that may or may be diagnosed or may not be diagnosed and this is just kind of a thing where um, it'd be more my tips and tricks that I've learned that work for my players it may not work for yours but it's kind of what's been what's been working for us 
Yeah, thanks, Adam. And, and so I feel like this is a this is an important topic because we've we've seen several several studies about how tabletop role playing games have have kind of been shown to assist with development and social skills. They help build uh, build self esteem, build autonomy, as well as kind of some of those critical thinking skills and and just interacting with people in situations that uh, that may be uh, unique or different from what what uh, what people are uh, normally used to mm-hmm there's uh, when I was doing some research for this episode I actually found a couple um, <clears throat> companies uh, or agencies I, I don't know what you'd call them um, but that run d d games specifically to that end for like a younger group to develop social skills and stuff like that. They have um, registered psychologists that run the games, which was super cool to see um, because what it does is it allows players to explore situations and behaviors in an incredibly safe environment Um, because you don't want, like for me, like I've had, you know, you're fighting an ogre or whatever, and that is hopefully the only time that I will, you know, experience that situation, that threat. And that, you know, that puzzle to solve in in my world. Um, But I got to do it in a make-believe way. And so that whole interaction, it it allows me to kind of like explore what I'm doing. And uh, that can be really helpful for some folks. Absolutely. Um, And and before we go much further, we should also say uh, we aren't doctors. (laughs) That shouldn't be a surprise for those of you who have listened to the show before. (laughs) But um, yeah, but in general, when we when we talk about uh, neurodiverse individuals, it could include a number of different symptoms. Now, by by no means is this list inclusive, but but um, just some examples. It could include uh, inattention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, um, difficulty reading, challenges with social communication, restricted interest, repetitive b- behavior, and and a lot more. Again. We're, this, this is this is not a uh, this is not a medical podcast, and nor I will it ever be. I hopefully, uh, but but I think that just understanding what some of the symptoms could be um, could help uh, identify where where some of these these uh, these approaches may help. So we're, let's jump in, and Adam, if. If you don't mind, get us kind of kick-started. I think the first thing we wanted to talk about was was uh, knowing and understanding your players, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I'm I'm lucky enough to have the the people that are neurodivergent at my table. Uh, my uh, my partner and two very good friends of ours. Um, and knowing them and what their triggers are and how they work together and understand each other is a huge thing. And this is something that everyone has to like uh, really take into account, especially if you're playing with new players that may or may not have these neurodivergencies. Yeah. Uh, having a strong session zero is I think your number one tool uh, when it comes to uh, dealing with people with uh, neurodivergencies. Uh, you got, you can discuss Safety tools, safe ways uh, for your people to tap out if if there's any kind of uh, uh, insecurity that's happening, or 
kind of the same uh, along the same lines as the uh, the RPG uh, contract that you guys have mentioned in past uh, streams. I think also in one of those episodes we were talking about the X card, which I found, which I I personally really like, which was uh, having all your players have a card that just has an X on it. And if something happens that, that a player is uncomfortable with, they can just throw it into the middle of the table. And that kind of like just kind of signifies, I mean, if somebody's doing something that's new and outrageous, that should probably be a little bit of a flag to them to be like, oh, it's me. I'm doing the thing that's making someone uncomfortable. You know, I'll adjust. Um, I've, I, I like the X card. Um, but yeah, like you said, getting that, that checklist, right, that you can hand out. I saw it again in uh, in the D&D forums, uh, people talking about that consent document, which I think is an amazing idea, especially when you don't know your players that well. Um, because then you can talk about what like, will not be included in the campaign. So if somebody says, like, this is, is a massive trigger for me, <clears throat> it will ruin my night, it will ruin my experience. Well, as a DM, um, at that point in time, you have to choose to either tell this player that you cannot work around that trigger, which is not very creative, in my opinion, um, or you just have to figure out how to adapt and overcome, uh, which I believe the rule is the more... The more or the less options you have, uh, the more it, in- it encourages creativity. So um, limiting yourself with options that way can actually be helpful for your campaign. Yep. The other thing that you can do when you, uh, when you have that session, zero, session zero is really to define what the group norms are going to be. Um, could be something as simple as what, uh, what is expected behavior, um, whether it's... Uh, whether it's like keeping voices down or 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 something like that or or even something more basic like like as we said in our last episode no standing on the table peeing on it um yeah that's probably a little bit <laughs> a little bit uh not needing to be established oh, but establishing <laughs> other group norms are are uh, are important and and that that could include breaks it could include how you're going to communicate at the table uh, as well as how you're going to communicate outside the game as well yeah, absolutely. Like the the breaks uh, the breaks are a huge thing. Uh, you have to also uh, I've noticed with my players like I have to really keep a uh, a keen eye on on a few of them. Uh, like when they when they start to get stressed at the table, they really shut down, and mm-hmm. it, it's it's a huge um, uh, non uh, nonverbal cue that I really have to look out for because it can be fine one second and all of a sudden shut down. And it really, really uh, grinds the game to a halt, uh, in, mm-hmm. especially like in a high R- uh, RP session. Yeah, and also kind of if, if, you, if you are sensitive or paying attention for those kind of uh, um, markers... Um, it's also a great time for you as a DM to call one of the breaks and be like, all right, everybody, let's take 10, 15, whatever your predetermined breaks are, um, just to kind of help everybody decompress. And then also if, if you split up the table and everybody's wandering around and somebody's like, nope, I'm actually done for tonight, then they don't feel as weird as I I think anyways, um, is like shutting down the table while everybody's playing. Cause it's kind of like, 
I, I just feel it's better if the DM does it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But but as part of that, you could also establish some sort of mechanism for um, a player to be able to call a break uh, if they feel that they need a break. Um, now you do need to make sure that you you have some some guidance on on when you w- will and won't allow a player to call a break. But that that could be an option as well because sometimes it may be difficult with five, six people at the table to necessarily pick up on all of the cues. And, and mm-hmm. if somebody is, uh, is present enough to be able to say, hey, look, I just need to step away from the table for a little while, why not let them? Yeah, absolutely. You could put that on the other side of the X card. One has an X and the other side has just a clock on it. Yeah, totally. So uh, another thing you can do in this session zero is... is, is work on like a party ID. And this is something I hadn't really thought much about until we started discussing this episode, but defining who the party is, what's expected of the party. Um, and, and by party, I mean the actual characters in the game. Um, by, by doing that, I think that, and I, I think this, this actually could be good for, for any gaming group, regardless of if there are neurodivergent individuals in there. Um, just kind of having that baseline of this is kind of what we're aiming for and get everybody to, to sign on and agree to that. So that, so that when, when one of the players decides to go and be murder hobo, but we're all kind of aiming towards this, this hero uh, aspect, there's some sort of guidance to say, listen, I know that you want to do this, but this isn't what we, what we talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I really like the idea of doing the party ID thing, especially in the session zero, because then mm-hmm. you have all of your players. Nobody's trying to role play or do any of that stuff. So it, you, you just drop that whole mess and everybody can just have an honest chat about it. It's like, well, I was really hoping to do an evil campaign and slaughter villagers for the next six months every Friday night. It's like, oh, well, I was hoping to save said villagers. And you can kind of get that stuff all out on the table all at once. And then everybody can come to a decision. It's like, well, okay, well, we, we save 50% of the villagers. We're half good. We save half of the villagers yeah. we Our come party across. Goal the other is half we murder. 50% survival rate. <laughs> hey, 50% is still a pass in some places. Exactly. And, I, and you know, if you if you cover that right in your session zero, then everybody kind of knows what's expected. You're not going to have to worry about getting six sessions deep into a campaign and finding out that somebody actually wanted to play an evil campaign. And that's what they're going to do, um, regardless of what everybody else wants. And it, it's also a good idea here to establish um, technology and tool norms, um, what things are going to be. Uh, a lot of the table and how how it's it's okay to use them at the table because some some tables use technology as a part of their of their everyday the people have character sheets that they track on it and things like that or maybe they have a, a note taker that uses the technology to keep track of notes stuff like that but establishing how you will allow or not allow that that technology and those tools at the table is is i think very important here yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, like I know at my table, tech is a big thing. Like it really helps. Um, it really helps organize everybody, and we all use uh, Fight Club Five and, or D and D Beyond uh, 
for organizing our characters, keeping everything in order. And it really helps because some of these, uh, some of the tech, well, either with i or your cell phone or tablet or or whatever, you can really customize it, and that is a big thing for especially for neurodivergence because they can they for the most part will be able to be able to focus a little bit more because it their their tech is specific to them and that's something that they're really comfortable with i think uh, another thing uh, as far as comfort levels levels go um, something else that I think is, is pretty important in your session zero, it's, you know, just as a basic, it's pretty important. And then furthermore to that, I just feel like it, it would be more important, but to provide a clear list of the rules, both like have, have a physical list, right. Of both your in-person and in, in game rules. I'm not talking rewrite the, the player's handbook. I'm, I mean, like your homebrew rules. So in this world, we have four death saves each or something like that. Um, and then your clear in-person rules. Because I, I, I do at my live table, like in person, I have a sign above where I sit as the DM because I don't like phones at my table. And there's a big sign, no cell phones, <laughs> you know, so it, it, can, it helps make it clear for everybody. You're up front about your expectations and it makes it really, really easy to enforce because you can just point at it. You don't got to get, I don't want to say rude, but I, sometimes I feel like I'm being rude when I'm trying to like, you know, call people out on stuff. And it, it's just easier for me if I can just point to a list or a sign or something like that. Well, and it allows you to avoid pushback of like, well, I didn't know, uh, but it was right in front of you. So you probably yeah. should have known kind of thing. <laughs> Like we talked yeah, about absolutely. it, you signed this, and there's a sign. <laughs> yeah, I know you know. <laughs> so, additionally, what what um, one thing that to to do is to have have regular check ins, and the these check ins could be uh, post game where you're where you're trying to understand what's working well, what's not working well. Um, uh, one of the ways that I've seen it kind of uh, presented is. What are things that we should continue doing? What are the things that we should stop doing? What are the things that we should start doing? Just so it's a very easy kind of three-phase thing. So if, if, if somebody has a, thinks that like at the game you really should be doing something different that, that uh, you're not doing currently, they have the opportunity to pr- provide that feedback. I actually really like the change in how that question is posed, the way that you said it. Because... Like, I've seen the, the question, what is working well, so many times on different things. It's like, I don't know. My <laughs> fork, it, it's doing its job. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I completely agree. The, the what's working well is definitely a huge, huge, huge thing. Uh, when I do my check-ins with my players, it's it's not just, uh, what. how are you feeling with the game? It's It's more of, how is your day like how like have you been overstimulated for uh because of work or because of the kids or because of school or 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 what have you if if someone's overstim if a neuro uh neurodivergent is overstimulated it's really going to take them right out of the picture yeah some of them it definitely can so Adam, how often are you doing post-game check-ins in your game, just out of curiosity? After every single game, we do post-game post check-ins. Uh, okay. 
Yeah, because like, it, it, especially when they become, or when my players become, uh, like I said, overstimulated or a trigger happens, I'll always do a post game check in. I'll do a uh, even like a mid game check in, like seeing how they're doing. Like uh, one of my players does get triggered a little bit more, uh, a little bit more by her uh, her husband, but. That's because he pl- that's the way he plays his character. Unfortunately, what triggers her, his character also does in game. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. That yeah, that that would be challenging. I can I can imagine. Yeah, it it can be, but like at the same time, like it it's it those instances really made me pay more attention to my players and where their comfortability is. And if I don't notice it, I know my partner. My partner will definitely point it out, saying, "Hey, we need a smoke break, or I need to go. We need to go get a cup of coffee, or or what have you." Okay. Yeah, for sure. And it, it, the nice part is, is that if you're doing it uh, um, pretty often like that, well, like I mean, if your if your table wants to and is comfortable with it, absolutely. Because one of the biggest things with with doing the check-ins is making it normal. Like normalizing, talking about these topics, because um, who like it's it's impossible to say how many campaigns or people have quit D and D because they didn't know how to bring up something that was bothering them, and there wasn't an avenue to do so, and it, it got to be too much for them, and they just pieced out or whatever, um, because it, it's not normalized really um, in a lot of groups to be like, how are you feeling, bud? And just kind of yeah. like get the lowdown on, yeah, on people and how how they're doing with it and and how they feel about where everything's going, you know, get all that stuff, all the good stuff. Yeah, totally. Like even like when it when it comes down to like even someone's mental health, you do have to normalize talking about that stuff because if like I said, if you're having a bad day, you're not going to be in the right mindset to to roll the dice. And, and these are yeah. conversations that I, I feel like if. As the DM, you're not initiating the what's working, what's not working, or however you want to phrase it. It's not going to happen um, because you you kind of have to start that whole normalization process to make it okay to talk about about things. Because when they talk about what's not going well, they may whoever it is that you ask this question to may feel like if they tell you what's if they were to tell you what's not going well that it's going to hurt your feelings as the DM. Um, so you do have to, you do have to approach it. And that's honestly, that's why I, I, I prefer like the, what are things that we should continue doing? What are the things that we should start doing? What should we stop doing? So that, that there's, there's a mixture of feedback. It's not all on the negative column necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Like I just, not recently, but when I first started the, like my homebrew campaign, I had a one of my players just up and quit because he didn't like the uh, the way that I was running the home like the homebrew world. Like it's oh no, your actions have consequences, and that's how I kind of ran it. And he knew it. It's just that he didn't. Yeah, he just didn't like it. It was kind of it was mm-hmm. odd. But again, I found out later that he was on the spectrum as well. So everything kind of made sense.
Do you like quests? If so, I have good news for you. Darkwind, the sponsor of this episode of Becoming DM, is full of quests for your character to pursue. Whether it's finding the components to make a potion, dealing with the town bully, assembling an ancient artifact, or just finding a collar for the local stray, there are a lot of quests to check out. And they're all ranked by level, so you know what you're getting into before you start off. You can play Darkwind and check out all of the quests for free. Just go to play.darkwind.org to start your character today. Now let's get back to the show. So let's move on and talk about some some tips or tricks to implement in the game. And I, I'm going to, um, Daniel, I'll have you start off with this this one just to get us going. All right. Well, uh, a couple of the tips and tricks that we wrote down here, um, and this by no means has to be specific to any uh, neurodivergent uh, person or condition, um, but if that is in play, it may help, right? So these are just things that, that we found that either helped us in our various games with uh, with running um, with some of these with some of these players. Uh, so it can be helpful to assign a note taker for the party, and like I said, this this can help in just any party. Um, but it can help somebody who's having trouble maintaining focus because it 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 keeps their hands busy and stuff like that and they can focus on taking notes and it'll enable them to focus on what's going on and that that could help them a little bit more um but pay attention to make sure that this doesn't end up taking away too much attention from the game so if that if that particular person maybe then starts focusing too much on the notes and is then having trouble kind of getting back into the game you might want to have to find like a different um fidget or whatever for that person yeah um like my note taker um what we do is we actually record all of our sessions and they would actually go back and take note and add on to like the little jot notes that they make during the session and we end up actually having like a little synopsis on our facebook page that i take care of um after each, each session that's awesome if you have somebody that's uh that's willing to go back and and get more context by listening in that's that's great it, not everybody's going to be able to do that but i think that's uh that's great if you got somebody that is yeah absolutely and, and especially if like if they hyperfixate on something else and they miss something that's important they can always go back and and actually like see what happened and listen to the listen to our audio recordings and be be more prepared for the next session, especially when I run some puzzles or drop some lore of the world. Yep. Um, the next the next kind of thing to to bring in your game is is one that is probably one of my favorites, and I've talked about this a couple of times on the show before, uh, so it shouldn't come as any surprise. But props, um, maps. Uh, game props, having terrain on the board, stuff like that. Uh, I, I mentioned that I've I've done stuff like uh, 3D print items that were clues for uh, a mystery that they were trying to solve. Um, uh, some things I've seen other DMs do that I haven't done personally, but but uh, instead of just saying, "Hey, you've got a potion," having these little jars with uh, with whatever the like if it's he- a healing potion, whatever the dice for that healing potion are. Um, so that 
you kind of has this physical representation of that healing potion. Um, and I believe, Adam, you had an example of something that you did kind of in this space more around uh, treasure or something, right? Yeah, so the dollar store is an amazing place, I have to admit. Um, <laughs> I bought a like a little treasure chest and I fill it up with, uh, I got off, I think, of, I think it was a wish, like uh, fake coins and I have like plastic gems and little little vials of, and scrolls and I like fill up that little chest and like at the end of the at the end of the session I, I put it on the table or throw the bag of coins in the middle of the table say this is kind of your award this is what you found and I have everything written down it's it's just like a little a little nicety kind of thing to keep keep them engaged because they know that it's coming after the first mm-hmm. time that I threw the uh, threw the coin bag on the table Mm-hmm. So, so do the players then kind of distribute the 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 gems and coin bag coins amongst the amongst the players? So they each have their own little stash. Uh no. Uh, okay. Uh, the note taker kind of pulls it out and then uh, separates it. But kind of yeah. Like I reuse everything. Although I am, I do have a three D printer on the way, so. It, <laughs> They'll actually be able to have their own gems and and coins and whatnot, kind of like a poker chip pile. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, why not? The other thing that you had that that we were discussing that this is not something I've ever done. I'm not sure if, if Danielle's done it either, but it sounded like like you had Adam was the party DJ. Can you tell us a little bit about that? It is, <laughs> it's fun. Um, what I do is I have playlists that are made up and I'm, I've, I've used it. I've done it once before uh, with work friends. Uh, we played a, a one shot at work and I had little colored uh, colored cards to say, this is the playlist that you play when it comes to, you know, you're in a tavern or you're in the city. Oh, now you're in, in the woods Oh, and now we have a battle. So, like, each time the scene changes, I'll throw up a little colored cue card um, to uh, to trigger the playlist that, to be happening. Cool. And so you're able to kind of uh, further set the mood at the table just by, by music. But you're also not having to play, juggle the Spotify playlist while you're also trying to set up a battle, while you're also trying to set up miniatures and everything else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's delegating, delegating DM duties, uh, to, uh, to the players. It's, it, it really does help keep focus at the same time as alleviate like any kind of, uh, extra duties as a DM. And and speaking on that, go ahead, Daniel. Well, I was just going to say that the more that you can kind of streamline, because I've had some scenarios happen where it's like, I'm 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 doing this like really big build up to this really big moment, and I'm like, and then you open the door, and then cue like 15 minutes of me just just messing around with little things at the table, <laughs> and it's like, no, no, just give me a minute. Well, yeah, I guess anybody who needs to go to the bathroom, just go to the bathroom, and and I start doing all this stuff, and all of that tension that I just spent like I don't know two years building up to, I just <laughs> it's just like gone all of it gone and it's it's now just i just and it kind of it deflates like a flan in a cupboard 
and uh, and it's just no fun. But if you have everybody um, just doing these various different tasks, if that if it takes everybody roughly roughly the same amount of time, you actually would be able to maintain that tension better because the time break would be shorter overall as well as everybody would be preoccupied and not getting out of game mode, you know, thinking about, well, maybe I should grab some chips or go to the bathroom or whatever. They're thinking, oh, okay, no, I need to set up this playlist or I need to, um, you know, do, do divvy out these, these coins that we found or, you know, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Like uh, my, uh, my one player, like they play a psionic and they can, unfortunately read absolutely every language there is known to man in the game um, <laughs> but i have just recently like printed out essentially it was uh rosetta stones for them to uh translate and so like when they come up to runes they can say well do i can i understand it I'm like well do you have it on your rosetta stone and then they can actually get uh get deep and involved in that while the others kind of do their search and then we can go back to so what does it say yeah it, it's 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 been fun like it's it's definitely challenging as a as a dm to have to be able to uh deal with the neurodivergencies and the uh uh the hyper focus for some but it's it's doable like it really is yep um and, and since we talked about kind of the taking those dm roles and and kind of parsing out some of them another thing is just having somebody that tracks initiative to um understand who goes when keep the and it, and, and this doesn't have to be just in combat this can also be outside of combat just to again make sure that everybody has their their turn um even in in role-playing situations it can be helpful when you have uh um people and like any people who who don't want to step on other people's toes or maybe they're not um used to the limelight or maybe you have somebody who enjoys the limelight maybe just a little bit too much and you can end up with a with a pretty big imbalance of okay so we've just spent the last hour following around our our halfling monk you know touring the city um but we've got six other party members who have just kind of been in stasis sitting around a fire maybe is that what you guys are doing uh, yeah yeah that's what we're doing it's like oh okay well and the other guy's like no no no, i'm not done in town i'm not done in town it's like well you i i like to give turns during during all of it not just in in combat because otherwise it's uh i find for me it helps me get people um, more engaged in the game when they kind of get stuck needing to play but at the same time you also don't want to push that too far because if you have somebody who's like super uncomfortable um it's it's nice to get them involved a little bit but don't don't ever push somebody past their limit um you know warm them up to it and be like oh you know this that or the other thing and and uh but don't don't make them <laughs> yeah absolutely well, a, a simple a simple way to do that without getting too involved is just to if you've got a, a a big thing going on where maybe something shocking was revealed and everybody's all talking about it, just say, "Hey, um, what's so and so?" Where so and so is the character name? What's so and so think about this situation? 
and they don't have to say that they're doing anything. They don't have to, to, to. This is really kind of just like, what's the reaction to this this thing? And and if they want to go beyond that, they can. But it it really is. I found fairly um, low impact uh, because people are people think about what you've what what's being presented to them, so they have a reaction themselves, and oftentimes that's what their character reaction is. Um, but yeah, so that can that can really help somebody if you have somebody who's tracking initiative, but in a visual way, so that your other players at the table can physically see it. Because I know for me. If like I can have a million and one thoughts on an idea, but if I'm not ready for somebody to say, hey, Danielle, what do you think about that? I will freeze up. I will not have an answer for you. Never in a million years. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> but totally. if if your players can see that on the board and be like, OK, so after Tom goes, then I have to go. Right. And it gives them time to like prepare mentally, emotionally and and whatever they're going to say, Lee. So for like the initiative tracker, like the in and out of combat, uh, I have uh, or I'm making uh, little pins that go like on top of my DM screen uh, with mm-hmm. the with the character names and and monsters for in battle and whatnot. Uh, but what I what I'd like to do and what I plan on doing is anything that's out of combat. Uh, I'm still gonna put the like put that in that order up, like who who does what and what and when. Um, but the how long is a big thing for for my table. Um, mm-hmm. I have uh, one of my players who is non-neurodivergent, who, who is neurotypical. Uh, he likes to tell stories and can go <laughs> on and on and on and on. So what I'm going to be doing, because like he's new new to the table, new to the group, is I, I think I'm going to uh, bring in the egg timer, which was discussed in, in the session zero uh for in combat but i may now do it out of combat mm-hmm. just to kind of keep ev- keep everything on like flow and proper and whatnot does this person just start talking and then just like not stop like you can't get a word in edgewise um sometimes or is sometimes, sometimes yeah because uh, I I did have a player like that, but it was I could get words in edgewise, right? Because they they usually have to ask questions, right? It's like, well, I want to do this, look at this, look at this. Um, but what I would try to do is bounce between party members, and so they'd ask me a question: <clears throat> um, Does the shopkeep have, you know, bronze swords? It doesn't matter. Do they have bronze swords? And I'd be like, okay, the shopkeep reaches his hand down behind the desk. All right, now, you guys, what are you guys up to? And I won't <laughs> give them good. the answer to the question until it's their turn again. And it just stops them dead in their tracks. Oh, i got to remember that. That's fantastic. <laughs> the, the key thing when you do that, though, is to remember where you were in your narrative when you get back to oh, them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, but on the yeah. plus side, they will remember for you. Yeah. If you don't. <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Now, one of the things that we talked about in planning for this episode that I was um, that I, I I was interested in um, is that that I think it helps to understand that silence is okay at the table. Um, it gives people space for time and processing. But I will I will say that this is probably as a DM maybe one of the hardest things to do is to understand that just because people are quiet doesn't mean that you have to somehow fill the silence. Um, 
and and, and I'll, I'll say that that just from from being a DM, from being a host on a podcast, it is physically painful for me to have silence. But if you can kind of get over that, there there's some some good stuff that can happen. Absolutely. Oh, I 100% hear you there. It's like when when I first started DMing, the the amount of anxiety that silence would cause me and I would just sit there and like study my players' faces. It's like what are they thinking? You know, are they are they thinking about the game? Are they trying to solve this puzzle or do they hate me? <laughs> do they hate <laughs> this? And it's it was it was really hard to to accept that they need time to think and you need to give it to them. Yeah, yep. like with with my table, my the silence that I bring to the table brings out probably the best RP for the people that are very like uh, socially like quiet and like it, it it's beautiful some days being able to see them actually be their character. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's it's really cool when everybody kind of gets into the groove of something so something else that you might consider bringing to the table uh if it would help and and this is again it's it's all case by case so uh, it, it could be completely useless it could be very helpful but um special character sheets and and i think that this is helpful for a, a number of of in a number of ways uh for one way it could just be a matter of it helps somebody that, that looks at it. For another way, there are sheets that help beginners get into the game as well. But regardless, there's a lot of different special character sheets that you could potentially bring in your game to help out things at the table. Um, and so I, I personally have not done a whole lot with these. Have, have either of you had special character sheets at your table? I don't know if I would say I have special character sheets. I found a set of character sheets for 3.5 um, mm-hmm. that were glorious and magnificent and basically a gift from the gods, and I will never give them up. <laughs> I think I know which ones you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, they're just, everything's perfect on them. I love them, and uh, like like I just, I keep like 20 blank copies spread around my house at all times in case like my basement floods. I've still got like 10 to photocopy. <laughs> yeah it's the, a thing the, yeah the uh the special character sheets like especially at my table like it was huge when when we found um the specific for uh players with adhd they're set up a lot better than the ones that even wizard of the coast coast or uh uh, uh paizo put out like they're fantastic uh they have um like uh, your your hit points is actually in a little heart. Your AC is in a is in a little shield. It, like it just helps uh, organize everything quite a bit better. And we're oh, actually just a lot of visual cues. Then, hey, yeah, absolutely. Um, like I made a player journal for my uh, for my partner. She absolutely loves it. Like I actually have uh, the the heart, the shield, and whatnot. But like her gear slots, I actually have a little uh, drawing of her character with like, this is what's on your head, this is what's on your chest, this is what if you have any gloves, any necklaces, and then a backpack for to to help her with the uh, 
all the items that she has on her person. You know, that's just that's just I think just a really good idea. Just for everyone to have the amount of times that I've had players be like, "Oh yeah, I have been wearing a crown for the last six years." <laughs> <laughs> I forgot I was wearing oh, yeah. this thing that did this. You know, if you even even just like the worst stick figure drawing with this stuff on it would would be enough to like trigger and help people remember what they do and don't have. Yeah, totally. Uh, also, like uh, another thing that I that I have for my players is. Uh, there was a Kickstarter a little while back. Or I think it was called Arcane Library. They have um, spell cards and item cards and pretty much the, the entirety of the player's handbook and uh, the DMG and all their magic items, wondrous items, potions, scrolls, everything. And everything is written up fantastically. And they even give you blank cards for any homebrew items that you want. That's uh, I'm pretty sure that I own... Uh, the same stuff. Although I think mine are official 5e, I, I, unless they're not official. I just assumed that they were. Uh, the ones I have aren't the official ones, but I do have the official oh, okay. ones too. Yeah, uh, these ones were made before they actually put out the cards. So like, I think oh, I had them like, okay. at least a year before any of the official cards came out. Oh, that's fair. Cool. Yeah, um, and, like being able to... Sorry, John. No, go ahead. Uh, being able to actually like have your uh have the cards in your hand helps helps the players like organize their their spells for the day there's uh keep track of their spells uh and even the potions too like oh crap i i use this potion i'm gonna kind of put it face down there, and put it away there's a product that you can get on on the internet <laughs> And I have five of them. I love them at my table because I've got those same cards. They're little spell books that fit those cards into like clear sheets. But like a single card per sheet. So it looks like they're holding onto a tiny little spell book. Oh, that's awesome. I'm going to have to look yeah. at it now. It's, it's 100% <laughs> awesome. And it's so adorable when your wizard is like, no, I think I've got something for this. And they're like so into role playing. And they grab this book. tiny <laughs> little so spell book and they're like flipping through it. They're like, no, I can totally do this. And uh, they're cute, but they're also like crazy handy and a great way to organize that stuff per player. And they also come with uh, spare cards. So you can just write out duplicates or homebrews or whatever. That's awesome. Now I gotta go find that and spend more money on D and D stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> Love it. All right, I think that we are uh, about ready for the wrap up. Uh, I know that that Danielle, you mentioned um, uh, companies that were using D and D and role playing games to to help develop social skills. I think that it it would be good to kind of circle back and just mention that uh, Critical Core uh, from Game to Grow is the one that, that I found when we were doing research from this. I'm not sure if you had any off the top of your head in addition to that, or if uh, if that if you ran into kind of the same, same organization as I did. I do not remember the name of the organization. I wrote it down and then subsequently lost that note. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was a Canadian company I found that uh, basically was doing the exact same thing as Critical Core. Um, yeah, and just a super informative, super, super handy. They had some really good advice. Um, 
uh, as far as, you know, options and things to do. And push comes to shove with all this stuff. Um, no matter who it is at your table, no matter where they fall on anything, whatever, the most important part to being a good DM and to running a successful game is to talk to your players, communicate effectively, find out what they like, what they don't like, what's working for them, what's not working for them, and try to adapt to make sure that they have fun while you have fun. Everyone has fun. It's just a matter of learning your players. Who's at your table? What can you do to help them enjoy their time? Absolutely. Absolutely. As we've said in in many Becoming DM episodes, keep your players in mind. This is a this is a game where everybody at the table is trying to have fun. So, so keeping them in mind is, is going to go a long ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I always said, like this is my world, but this is your story. Yep. Yeah. All right, gang. Um, I think that is all we wanted to cover today. Um, Adam, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. Um, thank you so much for having me. This, this is awesome. I love it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And uh, I guess until next time, gang. Stay Stay nerdy, friends. Thanks for joining us again. Make sure to share the show with friends to help grow our audience. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash becomingdm. On Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest, we are becomingdm. And our website is becomingdm.com. Becoming DM is produced by John Welsh and Danielle Tremblay. The show is edited by John Welsh. We'll be back in two weeks. See you then.